Hello, Marvelites! You're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 458. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, human woman and purveyor of fun. Yeah, and we are here to shield you from boredom oh, this week. Boy. You get it, Lorraine? I was, I was, that one was in my pocket. I was waiting for it, and I didn't want to tell you about it until we were live <laughs> on the show. Uh, so we are going to have some cool Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. action later. We're going to talk about some Marvel's Avengers video game stuff. Um, and it's fun because this week, as always, we are talking about what's happening this week in Marvel from games, comics, movies, TV, whatever. Lorraine, what's going on? Oh, you know what I watched last night that brought me true joy? I watched mm. the new Muppet Show episode that's yes. up on Disney Plus, and it's so cute. Wait, is only one it- episode up? There's only one episode. I, I believe they're dropping weekly. I'm I'm not 100% sure on the release schedule, but it was so delightful. Just like a little slice of my childhood. I thought also um, I felt like insanely relevant to what you and I do because the sort of framing device for it is that Scooter is running essentially like a live stream show. And I'm like, oh my God, this is like every red carpet that we do in my mind. So it's like, uh, Marvel Red Carpet <laughs> meets the Muppet Show, and it's so cute. There's lots of Kermit. I laughed out loud so much. Just really delightful. Yeah, we watched about half of the first episodes because we were. I was like, let's see if the baby how she handles Muppets at this point. Because I've watched. She and I have watched a couple Muppet movies, um, and she wasn't really paying attention to anything. And now her attention span is real short. But if something gets her she'll like watch and so she watched the chunks that we did and it was great we had a a blast what i like about the show is that it reminds me of the old the original muppet show from you know Mm -hmm. before we were alive slash when we were tiny tinies and that we saw in syndication or reruns uh, or have on dvd and now and um which is great because it would be the Muppets interacting with people and doing mm-hmm. skits and little bits. And it was, you know, it was like a, a variety show. Yeah, somewhere between like laughing and SNL. Exactly. But the idea of like having celebrities and guests and, and like mixing in pop culture with goofy skits is so much fun. And this is that's what this new show is. And it's, it's great. Now I just have the half of an episode to get to today <laughs> with the baby. But that's OK. That's all right. But speaking of Disney Plus, Marvel Studios Ant-Man and the Wasp is coming to Disney Plus next week Mm -hmm. uh, on August 14th. So everybody get hyped, get ready for that. It's going to be a great one. Oh, also I watched Black is King on Disney Plus, the Mm. new Beyonce visual video, which was honestly real cool. Uh, So we talked a little bit earlier on that we wanted to talk about Marvel's Avengers because... Lorraine, you, myself, and our erstwhile co-host James Monroe, Igalhart, got to play a little bit of the beta for the first weekend it was open. It was a little secret thing. They We had to put our uh, our settings to private so people couldn't see that we were playing the beta. It was really fun and like stealthy. I like that part. Yeah, I'm not friends with anybody on PlayStation, so uh, <laughs> Ryan was my first friend. So it's not like anybody was really going to be checking up on me anyway, but you know. I like to I like to skulk. Yeah, um, the beta is now going to be rolling out a whole bunch more over the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm happy to play with anybody on PlayStation Four if it makes sense. My PSN name is the Real Agent M, one word. Um, so that'd be fun. 
Yeah, I, I guess I'll be friends with people. You can, um, if you want to friend me, I'm Ms. Marvel, M-S-M-A-R-V-E-L, 616. Yeah, and so we're going to be able to play some more. And um, I, I did pretty much the bulk of everything you could do. I don't think I finished everything, but I like t- I, I sampled the full buffet and got to play as Hulk, Iron Man, Kamala, and Black Widow. My favorite is probably Hulk. Yeah, it's kind of nice because the way the demo works is it sort of teaches you to play uh, as you go. And so you get a, a really quick taste of playing as most of the characters right off the top. And it gets you right into the game. So once you start doing a little bit more with the other characters, you kind of know what you're doing. Um, I actually really, I, I thought Black Widow would not be my playing style as much as I love Black Widow, because um, I tend to just want to smash everything. So I was like, I'm definitely just going to want to play as Hulk. But I actually really like playing as Black Widow, because, um, you know, normally if there's like a monk character or sort of like a like a, a small light hand-to-hand character, I just get my butt whipped because I always play like a bulldozer um, <laughs> and then I can't take damage. And I'm like, oops. But I like that Black Widow is a pretty hardy character that plays hand-to-hand, even though she's really small. And she grapples, which I think is really cool. Mm. Whereas Hulk, you know, I do like that you can, like, pick somebody up and then hit them with, like, their friend. You can hit, pick, you're like, hey, Steve, no, you, Jeff, boom, boom, boom. And then you beat <laughs> up Jeff with Steve. And that feels right. You know what I mean? To all the Jeffs and Steves out there. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we're so sorry. Uh, yeah, you know it, that, that classic henchman name, Jeff and Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I tended to like Hulk. I, I vacillate between Hulk and Iron Man for myself because, as you, one of the cool things about the beta is actually getting into all the customization of your characters mm, yeah, and like true. unlocking things and leveling up. So you get to really see how the characters blossom and then you you sort of decide which style you want to play as and so i was was unlocking more with iron man he has like three types of weaponry so he has Mm -hmm. repulsors he has lasers and he has rockets and so you can really switch those on the fly and that was a lot of fun and then you're flying around and you start to see how the game will really make sense when you're playing with a couple other people because or you know even playing with you know different versions of your characters you know like i could be up in the air flying around as iron man you know doing a lot of ranged attacks where you could be black widow going hand to hand and like there's a lot of team up moves and really cool stuff i'm kind of like itching to get back into it already which is which is a testament well i thought that was something that was really cool you know from when we we did our big marvel's avengers talk a few weeks ago scott had mentioned that You know, you can kind of play every character in every fighting style. And I loved that. Like with Hulk, I was like, he has really great ranged attacks where he kind of like shoves his hand into the ground and pulls up a piece of concrete and lobs it at people. But, you know, you can play him as a ranged fighter just as much as you can play him for Smash. So really, and, you know, even Iron Man, you can kind of get in there and do more repulsor blasts and be more hand-to-hand and tactical. It's just fun to kind of find those different ways to play. I did not get to unlock Kamala, which I'm bummed about. Um, from the beta so that's like the next thing I need to get to and get to play as her Mm -hmm. I'm very excited for the the full game 
Yeah, and it's we're we're less than a month away from the full game that we're going to unlock and play, and then you know uh, they talked about having content that's going to keep dropping and it's going to be free and it's going to be coming for a while. And there was a big announcement this week because Spider-Man is coming to Marvel's Avengers in early 2021. He's going to be free and exclusive to PlayStation, um, and like knowing that they're sort of making their own Spider-Man, putting him in this world and tweaking him to fit into not just the story, but the play style and the sort of all the the ways that they are, um, you know, customizing characters is going to be super duper fun. Uh, you can read the full blog post on PlayStation.com. Something that we didn't talk about that I thought was really cool, um, I didn't explore it as much as I want to yet in beta, but hello, that's beta. You're just getting you're just getting your your feet wet. But there's so many cool different like outer looks for the characters, you know, like that Mr. Fix It um kind of gray hulk that is there in the in the menu already. Did you is... unlock the Palm Springs Hulk? No. Oh, the rain? I immediately bought you because we had some um, some points to use and you could mm-hmm. unlock some of the the way the characters look. And I did for Hulk, there's a Palm Springs look where he's wearing a tank top and it's like white and uh, shades of blue and pink. And he's got little pants on and I think he's got flip flops. He's got rings on his fingers and he wears a little hat. And that is my Hulk now. I love that so much, but yeah. I'm excited for this for Spider-Man because Spider-Man has so many cool variants of his costume and look. Yeah, they even mentioned, you know, looking at a re- like early Spider-Man, Ditko, Ramita. Give me so the like, web armpits. Yes, please. Pits, pits, pits. <laughs> All the pits. Um, so yeah, it was exciting. It's fun. And hopefully we get to play with some of y'all on um, some of our listeners. Uh, tweet us as well. Just let us know if you're going to play and, and we can try to keep track of things and, and say hi. Yeah. 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 But you know what else is exciting? Coming up, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's almost to the season finale, the series finale. My goodness. If you can believe it, it's almost a decade in the making. I mean, it's wild. It's going to all wrap up the whole entire series on August 12th. That's Wednesday, this coming Wednesday. And we have a real big S.H.I.E.L.D. roundup. Mm-hmm. Uh, two wonderful guests. We have actress Elizabeth Henstridge, who, of course, plays Gemma Simmons on the show. And she's also directed an episode this season. Uh, we also talked to Mark Kolpak, who is the visual effects supervisor for the show and who's been with the show as well since the very beginning and hearing his stories and perspective on the show. He's also directed a couple episodes, so it was pretty, pretty cool. Elizabeth, it's lovely to see you again. How have you been? What have you been up to uh, in these interesting times? Interesting times, yes. Um, oh, you know, just staying creative and writing and watching a lot of amazing television and, you know, just kind of reconnecting. I- I've actually spoken more to friends during this time, I think, than ever. So many Zooms, so many Skype, so many phone calls and FaceTimes. Um, so, yeah, we're doing pretty well and staying healthy, which is the main thing. But it is nice to see your faces. <laughs> uh you mentioned you've been watching a lot of tv you're doing like watch alongs on on some stuff right what do you what are you watching what do you recommend to some of our listeners 
Oh, well, we're currently obsessed with Kim's Convenience. It's a comedy out of Canada. It is so funny and the actors in it are brilliant. I stalk them all. I'm mildly obsessed with every one of them. Thank God they live in Canada because if they lived in LA, they'd be in trouble. <laughs> oh, I binged all of Russian Doll. I mean, Great British Bake Off. We've probably seen all episodes about 10 times each. Oh, Hannah, we watched. Have you seen Hannah? Oh, it's no. so good. No. It's like this action. Um, Joel Kinnaman. Yeah, Joel Kinnaman and uh, oh, what's the name of the girl in it? Oh, it's so good, actually. My mom, we were at, talking to them recently and she's like, have you seen this British baking show? Like she had just discovered it. And I was like, <laughs> oh, mom. Yes, we're aware of it. <laughs> this new phenomenon. Yeah. Elizabeth, you've also been doing some watch-alongs on your YouTube channel of a little show that maybe you're very deeply connected to. <laughs> Tell us about it. Yes, I've been doing watch-alongs of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I just started this season um, on my YouTube channel. And it's just been so fun to be able to maybe introduce people to some of the prolific writers and directors that we've had on this season and get some behind the scenes kind of stories and tips and tricks of people that maybe want to work in the industry and then actors come on and our wonderful EPs pop by and it's just been a lovely way to share this last season with people because it does feel you know it's just so bittersweet we're so proud of this season but it is our last one and so I just wanted to try and share it as much as possible it feels a long time coming in a way that like we filmed it a year ago and usually we're filming and it's on air at the same time so everything's just a bit more chaotic and busy whereas now it's we've really got time to just watch it and enjoy it and not worry about having to watch yourself and then try and do it better the next day it's a bit more <laughs> removed so think about the the entirety of the show what are what have been some of like your favorite ways that Simmons has evolved over the course of these these many years? Oh, gosh, so this, yeah, there's been so many. I think, I think her confidence, um, I mean, her confidence has always been pretty high, but I think that each season we've seen her step into more of a leadership role and maybe see some of her flaws a bit more clearly and face them and try to be a bit more independent. Whereas she was such a double act with Fitz and, you know, she still is, but she's had to cope so much on her own more because they keep pulling us apart that I think her yeah probably her independence <laughs> is what I um, saw most of the time and then I know yeah I never thought I'd want to play a character for this long I just didn't think it just didn't really appeal to me as an actor and then actually have being able to live with these people for so long it's just it's incredible the the development that you can get because you know you do a movie and it's amazing and you can feel a development but it doesn't you know it's a, an hour and a half two hours whereas this is hundreds of hours playing the same character um that yeah I'm sure there's a million ways that she's evolved and yeah but I'd say her independence I think is is a big one for me I love that you kind of started as somebody who worked in the lab and that was your your gig. And then Simmons' character really has just exploded into doing all kinds of field work and different things. You've, you've been dunked in water. You've been sucked in a monolith. You've been stuck in the desert. Um, I'm curious for you, what was one of the weirdest scenes for you to film? Because you've been in a lot of different environs. 
<laughs> yes, very true. Um, I think <laughs> I think one of the weirdest weird. That's such a great word because on a sci-fi show you get to do a lot of really weird stuff um, <laughs> and try and make it look cool. I think one of the weirdest was when I was on Mavith, the planet, trapped there, and it was I was in a pond, sort of trying to catch dinner and it was this sea monstery thing and so we were in a quarry in California it was 110 degrees and um they'd got a special robot man to come and build a tentacle of the monster so I was in this man-made little <laughs> pond surrounded obviously by all the crew in a quarry it was super windy so sand was everywhere and then this lovely man was there in a wetsuit with a little like sitting on this seat in a pond operating a, a monster tentacle that had to wrap around my leg so I was in this pond just in my knickers and like a tank top I think is what it was because that's what Simmons had and then it was like trying to wrap this thing around my bare leg not pull this guy off his chair lovely man but he was must have been like what is going on and then and then afterwards I had to eat it and so they'd filled this <laughs> silicon kind of tentacle thing I mean it was so grim and they put jelly all over it and then it had like baking powder and um gelatin and then some food dye so then I had to eat it and we only had one shot because it was just so messy and it's one of those days that you're driving home going what just happened <laughs> oh my god that's epic <laughs> so so fun but let's talk a little bit about this season obviously we've got to it's been so fun i mean just watching this season you know i'm obsessed with the decades you've worn the coolest costumes you've been on the coolest sets i'm curious for you um of the past decades that you've gotten to travel through which one have you sort of most enjoyed getting to delve into the world of? Oh, I mean, being Peggy Carter has to be has to be the number one for me. I mean, that was nuts. I freaked out. And, you know, because I'd always ended saying, well, maybe Simmons is related to Peggy Carter. That's not that much of a stretch, you guys. And that was part of the reason I think that they made Simmons kind of fangirl over Peggy Carter in earlier seasons. I think season two, I have a scene where I find some documents that she'd signed. And so then when they said that I was going to get to go undercover as her, oh my gosh, I mean, I just screamed. It was so fun. And then the, like you say, Lorraine, the outfits are just incredible. And, you know, we're all, we've all been in quite military outfits for, you know, six years that suddenly to get to play dress up was just oh my gosh it was so much fun we all went to everybody's costume fittings because it was just like a little <laughs> fashion show the whole time and that Peggy Carter suit was made to fit my body and they like picked the you know everything was so specific the fabric the cut the you know, like down to the finest detail of the stitching and just to kind of see all the departments really be able to stretch their muscles was, yeah, was so fun. So I think, yeah, definitely that. And then, um, I don't know, I mean, the 80s, how terribly amazing. Oh. Yeah. I mean, this whole like 80s hacker vibe, 
of all of those movies of the time, I just thought was so brilliant and delightful. There's like the the Chronicoms are like a Johnny Five robot. I was dead. I was just like, <laughs> like that's the thing that I love about this season is I just love watching like what the heck are they gonna do with the genre this time in this different way. I think that's been the fun of of the time travel for sure. Yeah, and that what you can say politically and socially about each decade and how you weave that into the story and the characters, it really allowed us to kind of give a social commentary as well, but then also just have a ton of fun and see, you know, it's just the dream scenario and it's really the only thing that we have never done. So cool. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the the episode you directed which is episode yes. nine. Yay! Uh, Yay! Your episode. I like that you come in to direct an episode and it's not straightforward. It's sort of like this looping, timey-wimey bit of business. What kind of challenges did you run into? And were you expecting that to be the, the episode you were going to dive into? No, I had no idea. I mean, they told me um, at the start of season seven that I would get one to direct, which was... I mean, just a dream come true. So incredible. I owe them so much. It was um, something that I'd kept putting myself forward for and kept shadowing and, um, you know, trying to do everything I could to uh, show that I was committed and prepared. Um, And then they gave me one to do. And (laughs) the first day of prep, I was like, oh my gosh, what did I do? Um, But, you know, they believed in me. And at that point, they just kind of gave me the reins and said, you can do this, off you go. And um, that was just incredible because, to you know, until you do something, you don't fully understand what it takes to be able to do it. You know, you can watch someone else do it, but I had been watching and shadowing people that had been doing this for decades. You know, everybody makes it look so easy. And then when you come to do it, it's not always that easy. But it was brilliant. It was definitely very challenging. I've never done something so that I have found so hard in my life. Um, But there's something about being given a complicated episode that you go, you know, well, if I'm going to do this, I might as well really get some think super hard why not um I I mean as a director it's almost the best one to have gotten because it's a day repeating so you're in the same sets with very similar scenes just slightly different dialogue that you have to come up with really interesting ways to shoot the same four walls with the same two actors and you have to somehow make it interesting to watch and um you know I also had just the best actors to work with and the most incredible crew in the world so all those things helped um but it was yeah we block shot it so which means that you do every scene in a set from one direction and then you turn the cameras and then you'll do every so I mean as a actor it's it's like sprinting a marathon to try and kind of get your head together and so um, you know, we came up with a strategy of how to do that. And I had never block shot anything as an actor. So it was kind of a learning curve for everyone. I think we had 26 loops. So you're just, you know, you're doing it. So, you know, everything was color coordinated. I mean, luckily I'm a Virgo, so I'm all about the details. So every single shot was color coordinated <laughs> and like, and we had this timeline and, um, yeah, it was a doozy of an episode, but, um, you know, Drew Greenberg wrote it. And so Jed said to me in prep, 
he was just like, just make sure you get what's written on the page in the camera and you will be fine. And he was right. It's just, it was such a well-written episode that, um, yeah, it was a hard one, but we, we had, uh, you know, the best odds of making it good. You know, I was thinking about the way you said that, especially this episode was like sprinting in a marathon. And, and then I started thinking about how, you know, you as an actor and like, how does being an actor, particularly in a situation like this, inform the way you work as a director, the way you work in um, building this kind of episode? Um, I think it made me go, oh my gosh, this is going to be a tough one to act in because block shooting is just, it's really difficult. It's not, you know, it doesn't always feel great as an actor because you don't get the full it doesn't feel as satisfying sometimes because just as you're getting the getting the run of a scene and the rhythm and you're kind of in the zone with the other person, you're then going to the next scene and then the next scene and then the next scene. And then as the opposite person behind the camera, then when the camera's on you, you've got to go, okay, where am I? Right, I'm three scenes ago. So then, you know, like it's, it's, it's a hard one to get your head around. Um, so I think I... I think it helped me being an actor because I realized I have to be so on top of my game here because I have to, um, this is going to be, this is a really hard thing to do as an actor. And that's when I realized, you know, after day one, our first day was all the wake up scenes of Chloe in the pod. And it was... Mm -hmm. Oh my, it was a brutal day because it was trying to get everybody's head around that this is on the loop and this is now the 20th time you're waking up and this has just happened and that's just happened. And, you know, we don't, as actors, you don't really get very much time with a script before then you start shooting it. And the lights and the sounds and the the pod broke on the day, on day one. So, it shoot, you know, it was like halfway up oh, and no. so then we had to stop to get that. And then, we, then the whole... Um, all the the circuitry, like it blew the circuitry. So then none of the lights were working in the stage. It was just one of those days where you go, oh my gosh. But I think um, as because I've been on the show for so long, those days are on every episode. There's a day where everything seemingly just kind of goes a bit wrong. And I know that as a crew and a cast, we've pretty much been through everything. So... I know, you know, I wasn't worried for one second that we wouldn't be able to make our day or that, you know, there wouldn't be an incredible suggestion just around the corner that would save us 30 minutes. And, you know, so I think it's, I had such confidence in the crew that these were the best in the business where I think if you come to the show new, you know, I might not know that. And then in terms of how it has helped me in acting, I think it's <laughs> I think it's made me realize how much work goes in to prepping an episode before you step on set as an actor. Um and it made me fairly self-conscious the next episode to be like I better come knowing everything <laughs> because this director has already put in a bazillion hours of prep and so um I think it not that I wasn't well behaved before, but I definitely <laughs> was a gold star student that next episode. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm so curious, just like, you know, obviously it's it's new to be directing the people that you normally are acting with every week, but what is it like being in front of the camera in a scene directing the people you're next to 
and directing yourself and directing the crew to capture it. I mean, what a balancing act. That seems wild. Yeah, it was kind of wild, but it was, I felt like I, well, you have to come up with a strategy, right? So I had um, always had eye contact with Drew, who wrote the episode, and we'd spoken so much about um, exactly, well, really what he, what we wanted from all the characters, but specifically with Simmons in those scenes so that I knew exactly what he had in mind. And uh, we made sure that we were, yeah, in eye contact and that I could, that he would give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And then I, he would come and say like, oh, I'm not sure, you know, make sure you hit this or that. But mostly it was like, yep, yeah, okay, we've got it. And then I, the, the only strange thing at first was, I would say cut and then kind of talk to Jeff or whatever and say, hey, make sure you hit that word and that word. And really that's a testament to the other actors that you are able to then take direction from your peer because when I'm in the scene, I'm a peer. Like I'm not, I'm not the director at that point, I'm the actor. And so then taking direction from another actor can be a bit, I was nervous that it would come across as being kind of rude um but obviously everybody was so lovely about it and um yeah it was just getting into a new rhythm and you know of course when Clark has already done it twice so it's not something that uh, we haven't had to do before but it, I think I was more self-conscious about it than they were but it kind of worked well and it was I think you know, by the time I came to act in the scenes, I'd never been so prepared as an actor in my whole life because I, you know, <laughs> knew so much about all the scenes and the different ways that, um, like, you know, the different iterations that had been through and how the lines had changed and all those things. So I think asking advice from people that had done it before was paramount. So I was thinking about the, the what you talked about in terms of, like, all the prep and all the time and everything that goes into it and, like, yeah, of course, there's the scheduling and, and you're working through all that. What was one? What was that like? But, you know, as both an actor on the episodes previous to that and then coming into this episode as an actor and director, like, what is that like? And then also, what tips would you give to anyone who's got that ambition like you do to get in there and be the actor director for something? I'd say shadow as much as you can and ask as much advice as you can see if you can um you know start making your own stuff start shooting short films start understanding camera angles and uh, watch a ton of uh watch really good tv shows and movies and kind of note why you think they're good watch ones that maybe aren't good and didn't work and see why um i think get, just gather as much information as you can and at some point you do just have to do it and and for me the hardest part of that process was saying to people hey I'm, I want to put my name forward I I can do this and I want to do this yeah uh, so we're gonna wrap up but you know as we're nearing the end the series finale of Marvel's Agents of Shield what is it like for you when you think about this now as you're, you're forever part of the Marvel universe how does what does that mean to you Oh, it means everything. I just, I think I've been doing a lot of reflecting on this journey with it being our final mission. And I just think back to that first Comic-Con when Joss Whedon walked out and we really had no idea what we were in for. And the roar of the crowd was 
mind-blowing. I mean, even now it's giving me goosebumps just thinking about it. And it's just so emblematic of how supportive the fans have been. Our show only exists because people didn't want Coulson to be dead. And it's, you know, so it's been built on the passion of the fans. And that just, I, I mean, I can't even believe it. It's why you want to become an actor. It's why you want to work in this magical world. It, it, it connects us all. And I think just being able to go to Comic-Con each year and go to different um, fan signings or whatever it is, to have that deep connection with people is is something I'll treasure forever. And it's so lovely that now we're in the comics and it's it's just, Marvel has the most <laughs> incredible heritage. And, you know, to get to meet people like you that just are just so wonderful and are spreading uh, a positivity and a joy and a light and how, you know, the, the underdog is powerful and you can do, you know, you can create your dreams. And it just, I, it feels... Um, it's just been such a blessing to be a part of it and, um, you know, just to see how this, how it's all made, but also know, like truly know that the people that work within Marvel are really good people and like everybody has a passion for it. I don't know if I'll have a job like it again. So Elizabeth, um, as, as we come to a close um, and as people are watching the season finale, which will be uh, Wednesday at 10, 9 central on ABC. Um, I, I'm curious, uh, what would you like to say, if anything, to the Marvel fans? Oh my gosh, just thank you. Thank you for being with us on this incredible journey. You're such a huge part of the show. You know, the tweets, the Instagrams, the Facebooks, the Twitchers, you know, we just, it's such a constant um, conversation on set. And, you know, the writers really listen to what you're saying and take your feedback. And there's been so many, some big story points that have changed. And then some little micro details that I think as actors, we read something and go, oh my gosh, what a great idea. Or, well, that's a really nice point. And we kind of try and weave that into the scene. And just to have that constant connection has been so special. And yeah, just thank you for sticking with us and I feel like um yeah I mean I've had the best job because of you so thank you <laughs> that's the best oh, that's the best where do those fans go to watch your watch alongs your other <laughs> content and and just make sure they're they're staying with you oh that's so lovely yeah so um my watch alongs are on my youtube channel which you just put in Elizabeth Henstridge. And then I have an Instagram, which is at lil underscore Henstridge. Uh, and that's pretty much all I do, social media. And uh, yeah, I'll let you know of new exciting things happening. Oh, thank you so much for talking with us. It's been such a joy spending these last, you know, almost decade with you. When you put it like that, Lorraine, my goodness. I mean, it really has been. I we've know. had we've had a long road together and it's just been amazing and I can't wait to see you again. Thank you. Well, same goes. And thank you guys for welcoming us all so warmly. I mean, from day dot, you've both been just so lovely and um, always the best interview and just so warm and and you know, the education that you've given me has been brilliant and without judgment. So thank you so much. Oh, isn't Elizabeth just the best? 
I can't wait to see what she does next. And I also can't wait to see what our next guest does next. His name is Mark Kolpak, again, the visual effects supervisor for the show. Let's see what he has to say. Mark, for our listeners who are so many fans of Marvel's Legends or S.H.I.E.L.D., um, but some of them may not know what you do, what a VFX supervisor does. Could you please explain? Absolutely. Okay, so a visual effects supervisor is in charge of basically all the visuals of things that can't be created live on set, such as the Quinjet, uh, the exterior of the Quinjet. Or this, yeah, exactly. I'm sorry to say, <laughs> it's not, not a real thing that flies around, nor is Zephyr One, nor are Daisy's quake powers, nor is uh, Yo-Yo's running. She runs, but then all the visuals are put on top. So, so as a visual effects supervisor, it is my job to go through the scripts and to basically find the areas that suggest through the writers that a visual effect is going to happen, meaning a power, something that we or I know that we don't have on hand in the production. So it's going to have to be created. You know, it's so mind blowing because, I mean, you are sort of the super on the show, right? Like you are bringing all of the superpowers and it's been on. I mean, you guys have been in production for almost a decade at this point. Um when did you start on the show, and, and were you a Marvel fan before you came on board? Yeah, I mean, okay, so I have loved the world of fantasy and science fiction my entire life. It started, I'm a little older than you guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to age myself right here. It started with me watching Star Trek as a kid in the late 60s and the 70s, um, and it... Really, visual effects love for me started when I got to go to a screening in 1977 of a film that when was told to me, I said, uh, I don't know. And the person says, well, you like Star Trek, right? I said, love Star Trek. Well, this is Star Wars. And I said, Star Wars? I said, are these like stars that have wars? I mean, what, I, I don't even know what that even means, you know? And so she goes, well, I don't know. I think you'll like it. And then I went. And that first shot, I felt my brain rewire. It was like amazing. I'd never seen anything shot like that before. So between, yes, I love comics. I was not a big comic book reader as a kid. Um, I love things that Irwin Allen did. I love things that Gene Roddenberry did. I loved, you know, 2001, even though it kind of freaked me out as a kid. Um, <laughs> but but all in all, I got into comic books actually surprisingly late, like in the early 90s when it was that sort of second golden age of, of things. Um, and I was drawn at that time because I was older. I was already in my 30s. So I was kind of drawn to the to more of the adult things like Spawn and, uh, and that thing. But I, I, I've always loved the Marvel the Marvel stuff. And I've, you know, I watched the Spider-Man movie that was done for television when I was a kid, you know, all these kind of things. So um, I've been into this world um, for as long as I have been. And then I got onto this show and here's a funny story with the whole thing. So I got the grid, meaning the, it's like a program that, that tracks the shows that are in development, right. And things that are coming up. It's usually for agents and, and my daughter, worked at MTV, so she was able to share it with me. And I was looking for a project in 2012, and I see this thing called Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. 
And I went, holy cow, this, this has got my name written all over it. And I looked to see who's evolved, and I see it's Joss Whedon. Yay. And I go, bummer. He always works with this one visual effects company on all his TV shows. So I talked to my agent, and I said, I'd love to do this, but I'm never going to get a chance to do it. And she says, well, what do you mean? I said, well, he always, Josh likes to work with this one company and this group. And I have no doubt that um, he's going to use them on this. And so she says, well, you don't know this. And I said, yes, I do know this. And she says, no, you don't know this. <laughs> and, and she says, you know what? Jeff Loeb uh, loves your work uh, back from Heroes when we did Heroes season, season one with him. And I'm going to call him and I'm going to get you in the room. And I said, knock your socks off because it isn't going to happen. <laughs> and, so, and so then uh, half an hour went by and she called back. She goes, okay, got you a meeting. I said, what? I said, Seriously? She said, yeah, they want to meet you. And I said, okay. So I went in. Um, Josh wasn't there. He was busy on the feature side. And um, and I was kind of bummed because I thought, okay, um, you get called to the king's court and the king isn't there. So it's like I go, oh, my gosh, really? So I, I end up uh, selling myself hard because back then, television was a different landscape. Streaming didn't exist. I mean, okay, there was House of Cards and Orange is the New Black had just come out. I go in and I sell hard because I know that most television at the time was about, we don't want to pay very much. We don't really care how it looks. It's, it's hard as an artist to deal with, with people like that. And they want to just do it at a facility, you know, and there's no onset guy who represents the show. So I go in and I said, like I said, I, I, I sell hard. Pretty intense. So I leave. I call my agent. She says, how was it? I said, well, it was a great performance. I said, I did the best I could. I th I wouldn't change a thing. And then I got a call and Chris Jeremy was there. And then he called me afterward and said, listen, would you be open to doing a breakdown of the pilot script? You know? And I said, sure, of course. Why wouldn't I? So I spent a week. And I did that, and then I went back for a second meeting. And that now was, Joss was there. So I gave my breakdown. They looked at everything. We talked. Everything was great. And as it was told to me, I think through Marissa or someone, she said, when I left the room, they all turned to each other. And they said, that's the guy who should be doing the show. So it's interesting that I almost didn't do it. If it was left up to me, I would have never gone after it. It would have been a different show. Yeah, that, that's a lesson for anyone who's listening to like, you know, not sell yourself short, take some advice, let some other people fight some battles for you when they've got your back. And like, there's always a possibility out there, which is I can't even imagine like the, the show would look so vastly different without you. So like my my goodness, like, yeah, what's in my these two things right here and what is in here is unique to me. It's unique to every artist, every person. Mm -hmm. So we all have our take on things. We all see things the way we see them. We all care about things in our own individual ways. 
you were you were talking about you were pointing to your eyes and talking about your brain and, and how those are unique to you. And I think, you know, on top of that, it's also what experiences have sort of informed those things. And you talked about Star Trek and Star Wars and some of your fandom. I think of, you know, some of the previous seasons and, and different things and looks that we've seen and elements in space and all kinds of cool stuff that uh, we've seen in the show through your eyes and your brain. You know, what is the fandom that you have, the things that you've enjoyed in your life? How does that affect the work that you you bring to the show? I got into this world early, not visual effects, but the imagination of what can be created. When I was 10 years old, I started experimenting with special effects makeup. And I remember my dad was a physician, a doctor, and I was a little kid, you know, I was like seven. I said to him, hey, dad, do I have to grow up and be a doctor? And he said, no. He said, grow up, be whatever you want to be, but make sure it's honest. And you can support yourself. <laughs> and I said, okay, because I want to be in the movie business. You know, that's what I want to do. I want to do, do that. So my mom, back in the 60s, you know, they would have the fake eyelashes. I mean, I know they still have them now. But she would do things like they put the glue on and everything. So I started playing with that stuff and making blisters. And my dad would bring me syringes. I'm like 10 years old. He's bringing me little <laughs> syringes. Uh, and it shows you the support I got, right? And so then by the time I was 13, I was doing full sculpting and mask making and foam latex appliance pieces and everything else. So I really wanted to be the next Rick Baker, Dick Smith, Rob Bottin. And it wasn't until college where, where, where I shifted into you know, other avenues. But um, the thing that influenced me was that I took a lot of art classes. I took a lot of art history classes, photography classes. I graduated from film school at, at Cal State Northridge. I mean, you know, a small program back in the day, but it uh, gives you the basic tools. Everything is an accumulation that adds to your skill set later on. You know, nothing is wasted. Oftentimes on S.H.I.E.L.D., I think what made S.H.I.E.L.D unique was two two things it evolved visually and story-wise all the time and the fact is is the eps you know jad and marissa and jeff bell they understood how to pick your battles you know sometimes you can't have a gag on a gag on a gag sometimes you could just have a gag so we would say what was intrinsically needed for this particular episode do we have to have Daisy doing, you know, eight different quakes in a thing, or can we take that down because the real focus of this episode happens to revolve around Yo-Yo or May, you know, and and we need to have May flying the plane in an incredible way, and that's going to take a certain amount of money and resources. All of these things is what makes someone in my position um, important to a production, to be an incredible asset to the production. Even though I do visual effects, I can't tell you how many times I stop visual effects, you know, when we could just do something mm -hmm. practical because I'll figure out a way to just do it practically. And that's my job. That's my responsibility to a production is to achieve the best result no matter how we do it. And if it's best with a stunt and a ratchet pool and not a digital double, that's what we do. And we save the money and we put it somewhere else. You know, I'm I'm so interested to know, you know, you mentioned that you've obviously worked with heroes, both literally and the subject matter, <laughs> but what makes something like intrinsically a Marvel television show or a Marvel 
piece of visual effects, especially for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? It is, it, it's this. When I got the pilot and they asked me about my job and, and, I, and, and, and my experience, and I said, this is what I'm going to bring to this show. This is the first live action show. I see my job as protecting the brand. I said, if we go into this and you, as a production, does schlocky visual effects that don't feel kin to the feature world, everyone's going to bolt for the hills and be gone. I said, not to take away from the characters of the story that you're telling, but people will be highly disappointed. So when you look at, a, at, at Marvel, Marvel tells wonderful human-driven stories. And that is what has been in this project the entire time, complemented by well-crafted visuals. So for me, it was always about pushing the art season after season better and better. That while we can't duplicate the world of the feature realm, because they have way more resources than, than we do and time, but what I can do is I can reflect what feels extremely familiar and close to that so it doesn't feel like this you know stepchild thing over here that kind of feels like something it has it has its own stamp of quality in its own universe and that was what i set out to achieve with my team and everything else was to create the best work that really honors the marvel brand in a broadcast show yeah uh, speaking of some very best, I you know I think of you know we're we're coming towards the end of of the series and looking back a lot and thinking about you know favorite bits and pieces and and moments and I go back to like close my eyes and go back to Ghost Rider as some of my favorite stuff visually and 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 just you know really cool moments. Uh, do you have any favorite VFX scenes or elements or things that you worked on throughout the show's uh, lifetime? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, the work evolved. It was, it was, I liked it in the beginning, but I have a lot of problems with a lot of things in the beginning, the first season. Um, but we got better and better. Ghost Rider, like you mentioned, is really a crowning moment for that character and, uh, and, and using it in the show, incorporating that kind of character into our show was not an easy thing. I mean, I, 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 you know, I remember, you know, we at, at at the end of season three, I'm on the 405, and Jed calls me and says, "Guess what, Colpack?" I said, "What? We got Ghost Rider." <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, it was Robbie Reyes' Ghost Rider, which was fine, you know. And then I got my opportunity to put the stamp I wanted to put onto it, and that was to try to address things that weren't addressed in my mind in previous incarnations. And that is, you have a skull. How do you make it relatable to an audience emotionally? Not just, a, you know, I mean, so I started um, examining a bunch of research and doing stuff and I and thinking about the character being a motorhead, you know, loves to work on big block American muscle cars and all kinds of things. So the things I started to design into it was to put the coal eyes in so you had a point of focus. And that was really just the optic openings in the back of the skull with the, and fire was through there. So, But it looked like a sense of eyes, right? And then I saw 
my favorite Marvel character movie that gave me a great idea, and that was Deadpool, because they're de- dealing with a similar thing. Guys in a mask, how does he emote? And they did the squash and stretch on his eyes. So I said, it's a magical character. So if you notice his eye orbits, when he scowls, and they, they can contract and, and, and release and all kinds of stuff. So we put that in there, and then when he really wanted to kill, I left the indents on the skull here as sort of exhaust ports. So they would go whiter, hotter when he would kill, you know, or when he changed his mind, like when he didn't kill Daisy. So all of that and the fire look and everything, I was very proud of. Well, and I think that's so cool because especially this season, you guys are just, I mean, it is so fun. It's so fun. All of the time travel um, has been so cool. I'm really curious what sort of like challenges come with all kinds of uh, interesting things. And what were you excited to work on with all these different decades you were getting to visit? Well, you know, it was it was funny because. We did a lot of work. It didn't feel like a lot of work. The emphasis in season seven became about wardrobe, about makeup, some of the locations. So, but, you know, I got to do one little addition in 701, the first episode that Kevin Tantron directed, where, you know, they end up in 1931, New York, which we knew from the previous season, from the end of season six, that, oh my God, look, it's the Empire State Building, and it's not complete yet. Mm-hmm. We, we get to really show off. It was a shot that Digital Domain did. And, and when they come out and we get that big crane up and we see up that one street leading to the Empire State Building down the at the opposite end. And, you know, we had horse-drawn carriages. We had, you know, old Model A's, you know, running around, you know, and all the digital people. And it's a magnificent-looking shot. Almost didn't happen because we, we got to it late and the sun was going. That's why it became, from a daytime shot, it became an early morning shot. So the the work starts off pretty light, but we start to ramp up now. Yeah. And and it's going to get heavier and bigger and the stakes become bigger and everything else. So the visual effects become bigger. Yeah. Um, we know that Elizabeth Henstridge is directing an episode this season. We know Clark's directed. You've directed an episode. Uh, what was it like both working with them as directors after having worked with them, uh, you know, in, in their other roles previously. And then what was it like for you to take on the director role while also there's all the VFX stuff that's, that's going on at the same time. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, one working with them was great. Now I got to work with Clark a lot in his episodes that, that he did because, uh, there was a lot of visual effects that were on set. Uh, unfortunately, like I, I, I texted Elizabeth this morning. I said, you know, congratulations on your episode airing tonight. You know, like I really wish we could spend more time together. And it was kind of ironic because in my episode, I didn't have her in my episode. Oh, so, so you missed each other. Yeah, it's just the stuff I created was outside, like the Zephyr flying and stuff like that. And I don't know if I even went to set on her episode. But generally speaking, but I prepped with her, right? So we talked about the visual effects. And... You know, she visited me on, on my episode. She shadowed and worked with Clark on his episodes. I mean, she was very into it. They are all great. They are great performers. And, you know, anyone who directs television, it's a lot, a lot of work. Don't be fooled. When I did my episode in season six, I had someone on set for me 
to do all the notes and ACRIs and whatnot. But I was able to switch between visual effects and directing very easily, which I was so relieved because I thought, oh my God, it's going to be so hard always if it is like that. And a case in point was when D came out of the framework and he's in his lab, that transition moment was designed where he was going to stand on this little lazy Susan turntable against a green screen. So when he turned, the light would change around his face. On the day, it was the last shot that we had in the uh, alien spaceship set. And so we put the green screen up, we were all there going, and the turntable was wobbly. So he <laughs> around. And, and, I, and we, we tried it a couple times, and they looked at me and I said, hold on, guys, this isn't working. And, and they said, what do you want to do? And I said, hold on a second, I got to switch hats. I went, and okay, here's what I want you to do. So I turned to Kyle, who was my DB, Kyle Jewell. And I said, okay, Kyle, I, if you can hold the light, I want you, he's going to stay still, you move the light over him. So I was going to do the exact same thing. And that's how we did it. So he didn't have this wobbly, goofy thing. It would have been really bad. So, so it's, it's complicated when you're, when you're serving two masters. It's hard. And I can't imagine because sometimes they get, you know, we shoot anywhere between five to sometimes seven pages of script a day. So, yeah, so that, so it was, it, it's, it's always fun. It's always a challenge. Well, it's always delightful to watch. I'm, I'm curious as you know, we're, we're looking back on this whole series. Um, what has it meant to you personally to get to be a part of Marvel history, especially Marvel television history? Yeah, uh, it has been a magical experience, honestly. Um, from beginning to end, um, it has been a journey of collaboration, of trust, which is really important. Trust between you know your, your showrunners and what you're doing. You know, it was a wonderful experience. All I can say. I mean, it's it's one like I said. I've got a book in now. I've got heroes, and I've got you know Marvel. And not that I won't maybe have some others. I'm not saying my career is over, but uh, but it's nice to have something uh, where lightning struck twice. Yeah, as Stan would say, enough said. Mark, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, great work. We're really, really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it. Big thanks again to Mark and Elizabeth. Uh, of course, once again, watch the series. I get so weird to say series finale of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. next Wednesday on ABC. I can't believe it. It's the end of an epoch. But we have a question for next week that is the beginning of an epoch. No, it's not. But it is. But it's not. Um, I want to know what is the spook. That's uh, five O's. Spookiest Marvel comic and or story that you have ever read. Because we're going to be talking about the last podcast on the left, which deals with some horror stuffs. Yeah, we have Marcus Parks, who is one of the uh, hosts and sort of like the main writer and storyteller for Last Podcast on the Left. They have a new book out, and I, it's one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. They talk about a lot of alien stuff, encrypted stuff, uh, you know, true crime and horror stuff, all, all based in reality. And he's Marcus is a huge Marvel fan. So we're going to get into all that next week. I'm trying to think of 
the scariest Marvel story. I'm a big fan of the story where Eros, aka the spider lady, um, or lady made of spiders, uh, tries to impregnate, I think she impregnates Flash with her spider babies. And then she realizes like she could have so many more babies if she impregnated or like laid her egg sac inside of Peter Parker. And she turns into a big spider, like a lady made of spiders. I just think it's one of the grossest ones. And all the boys are like, don't put your spider babies in me. And she's like, I'm gonna put my spider babies in you. And I love it. Can we just have that? Uh, siloed out. I want that as my ringtone. Whenever you call, please don't put your spider babies in me. <laughs> Can you make it the cold open of this show? <laughs> um, there's uh, an issue of What If. It's number 87 from volume two. Um, it's just like the title is What If starring Sabretooth. And it has, uh, it was written by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning and art by Frank Tarrant. And it is one of my favorite comics. It is terrifying and it's really upsetting and is basically Sabretooth unleashed in the mansion and what happens there and the art is so cool and scratchy and, and really nasty that's really great and of course Immortal Hulk has been such a oh, wonderful body horror yeah. over the last couple of years that I can't speak highly enough of that book so body horror is the name of my blog I was waiting for it there we go <laughs> <laughs> of course, we want to hear from you, so you can tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twinpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. Um, let's, let's move on to community. Yeah. What's in the old uh, mailbag there, Ryan? Uh, Tony at T. Bizzlesworth says, For the last month, I have been going down an X-23 rabbit hole with Marvel Unlimited, and she has quickly become my favorite of the X-Men. Ooh, Tony, that is awesome. Yeah, she's she's an excellent character to go down the rabbit hole with, or the Wolverine hole. <laughs> uh, we, you know, a couple years ago, we had on the show, I think it was on this show, Craig Kyle, who helped create X-23, he wrote, co-wrote many of her early comic book appearances, but also uh, put her into X-Men Evolution, where she was first introduced. So there's a lot of really interesting backstory about X-23 and Laura and, and his perspective on the character. If you want to go back and dig around for that episode, I don't know what it is off the top of my head, Tony, but I'm sure you can you can probably tweet to at Ms. Megan McCabe, uh, who has been doing <laughs> a, a, a listen through of the entire series. She's probably heard it in the last uh, couple of months. So enjoy that one. Speaking of Wolverine, did you see the, you know, there have been these, uh, this like little series that Marvel is doing of these sort of like short strips called Heroes at Home. And mm -hmm. there is a really cute one up on Marvel Social right now with Wolverine by Zeb Wells and Girihiru. And it's so good. It's so cute. It makes me feel real happy. You should go look at it on the Marvel channel, not X23, just the old hairy, grumpy Wolverine, but still really great. Yeah. Oh, and Tony, so a couple years ago, we did a, a, a bunch of issues called Generations. Um, Lorraine, do you remember yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, That was yeah. just a couple years ago. Yeah, Generations. And so we had like the newer versions of Heroes mm -hmm. meeting, going like in time and meeting like younger versions of their counterparts. So uh, Miles Morales went back in time to see Peter Parker. Laura goes back in time to a, young, uh, a younger Wolverine, Logan. 
that issue is written by Tom Taylor is one of my favorites. It's just, it's so good and so sad, especially, oh, oh man. Tommy T does a great Wolverine story. He does. He does. Um, next up, we have our friend Karis Pollard at a Karis Pollard, who says this week in Marvel goes to Captain Marvel, very striking pages and really diving into what it means for Carol to pick up the mantle of a Kree hero and her being properly cap like and serving justice above all else in Captain Marvel's name. We pray. I added that. <laughs> that was uh, me. I can't remember what week it's come out. There's an issue of Captain. I think it comes out next week. Captain Marvel. Yeah, I think it's next week's issue of Captain Marvel. So good. It's so good. And if you are itching for some uh, chewy action, her little cat. Meow, meow. Get ready for it. Oh, he's so much flirking fun. Yeah. It's a flirking good time. That wraps it up this week on the show. This episode of This Week in Marvel was produced by Percy Verlin, Zachary Goldberg, Lauren Sink, and me, Ryan Penagos. Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. And Joe DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to a flirkin' good time. For a flirkin' good time, call Ryan at 555-agentm.net slash... Uh-oh. <laughs> Leave it in! Let's go! I'm Ryan. <laughs> I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe. <laughs>